1: So I personally will have my patients start with basic movement like day one, mm-hmm. postpartum. And this always might freak people out, but that's why I call it movement. It's not like workouts. Yeah. You're working on breathing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are stretching your upper back because you, if you're trying to breastfeed or bottle feed or whatever, mm-hmm. you're all crunched forward, right? Mm-hmm. And so your upper back's starting to hurt. So I have people start doing movement in the bed week one postpartum but this is just you know more of like gentle stretching and just like relearning okay how do I breathe like how do I find my core again because you'll notice like it feels so weird it's like jello in there like your organs don't feel supported right
2: you're listening to she with Jordan Lee Dooley a personal development podcast for the everyday woman come invited leave ignited Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Dr. May, welcome to Sheet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yes, so excited to have you here. Okay, so this is a topic I have been personally learning about quite a bit. We're going to talk about public floor health and things like that. But before we dig into some of the nitty gritty, can you first just share a little bit of your background and what you do?
1: Yes. So I am a physical therapist, but I specialize in treatment of the pelvic floor. So in physical therapy school, we actually don't really learn much about the pelvic floor. Shocking, Mm -hmm. right? And you kind of have to do your own treatment and education on your own through accrediting academies. So I've done specialization through a separate academy after completing physical therapy school. So yeah, I've been doing this for about almost five years now. And I've kind of been a fitness girl my whole life
2: though. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting that you don't learn about that in in um, physical therapy school, but it kind of makes sense. And I feel like, I don't know if this is true across the board, but I feel like most people don't really think about pelvic floor until they think about having a baby. Because <laughs> for me personally, I was like, yeah, I don't need that. And then I started like peeing when I sneezed and I was, when I was pregnant and I was like, okay, maybe this is a thing I need to like explore a little bit. So let's start with just a very yes. basic question of what is the pelvic floor? Why should we care? Why is it important? <laughs>
1: Yes, uh, the pelvic floor. I shouldn't say we didn't learn anything about it in school. We had two very small lectures kind of just like, okay, here's the the pelvic floor. And if Mm -hmm. you want to learn more about it, like do something after school. Mm -hmm. But pelvic floor, pretty much they're just a group of muscles. And you think of like a bowl. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like the bottom of the bowl Mm -hmm. of your core. And so they work as like a hammock to support your pelvic organs. Mm -hmm. They play a role with bladder and bowel health, sexual function, and obviously supporting your baby. So uh, the best visualization is thinking of them just like a hammock Mm -hmm. or sometimes I'll say like a trampoline. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the trampoline lowers as the weight is increased on the pelvic floor and then it kind of rebounds as weight is lifted off the pelvic floor. But they're made up of the same muscle fibers as the rest of your body. So just think of them like another part of your body, another Mm -hmm. muscle. Yeah. Okay. So because we don't talk a lot about it,
2: I think it's important to just kind of understand like what happens to the pelvic floor during and after pregnancy and what are some of the common pelvic floor issues that you see women having or people having in general Because again, I, like I said, I think this is something that really comes up once we get into like thinking about kids or pregnancy or postpartum. So can we talk about like the issues that can come up with the pelvic floor and why that's important to be aware of?
1: Mm -hmm. So during pregnancy, the pelvic floor, because the pelvic, so the pelvic floor is actually a group of muscles. There's Mm -hmm. three different layers, Mm -hmm. but I'll just refer to it as the pelvic floor. It's a lot easier to Mm -hmm. wrap your head around that. And the names of the muscles are a little too complicated anyways. Okay. (laughs) But during pregnancy, the pelvic floor has to support the growing weight of your uterus, right? Your Mm -hmm. baby is growing, there's increasing fluid, there's just more weight in Mm -hmm. your abdominal cavity. And so Mm -hmm. the pelvic floor muscles have to physically support that growing weight. And so if you think back to that hammock visualization, the weight is pressing down on like that hammock or that trampoline. Mm -hmm. And in order for, you know, things to not come out, you know, like, you know, peeing yourself or Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, people will have fecal incontinence too where they're having... Hard time managing their stool, like mm-hmm. all of those things are kept in by your pelvic floor. So, things that are pretty common to see during pregnancy mm-hmm. are, like, you know, that urinary or fecal incontinence, mm-hmm. um, pain because you're stretching a muscle that might not be used to being stretched. Mm-hmm. You can also see a lot of like lower back and hip pain because. If you were to look at the pelvis, it's very tight real estate. Mm -hmm. Like your glute muscles are really close to your lower back muscles, close to your pelvic floor. And so they can all influence one another. And so kind of just your hip mechanics and pelvic mechanics change Mm -hmm. during pregnancy Mm -hmm. as you're going forward. So you can see a lot of like lower back, hip pain, pelvic pain Mm -hmm. during pregnancy as well. That's not even including, you know, labor and delivery. That's just during the mm-hmm. actual trimesters of pregnancy. But yeah, so those are some of the things that are going to come up during pregnancy and then during labor and delivery. Your pelvic floor actually stretches three times. Wow. It's normal length. Yes, isn't that crazy? That three well. times it's normal length if you're having a vaginal delivery, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can even stretch that much. You know, it may be you're having, maybe you don't know you're going to have a cesarean, so you mm-hmm. start pushing, right? Mm-hmm. But then like, you know, it, it leads to a cesarean. Mm-hmm. So your pelvic floor can still be affected even if, you're like, oh, you know, I had a C-section. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm fine, but mm-hmm. it's still affected during pregnancy and during labor. If you you know went into labor. Wow.
2: So one thing I've been seeing a pelvic floor therapist, and one thing that she mentioned is a lot of women will like come postpartum with a lot of issues, right? Like whether it's leakage or just various different things. And one thing she said is like, I wish, sometimes I wish these women would have like been able to come to me during their pregnancy or prior to, to kind of do some things preventatively. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts Mm. on like, how can that be beneficial and what can we do to like strengthen or improve our pelvic floor health prior to like a labor and delivery type situation that can stretch it and and make it, you know, maybe even, I don't know if it
1: weakens it, but you know, where we then have the postpartum (laughs) issues. Right. So I guess I'll start kind of where you just ended on like during labor and delivery. So mm-hmm. during childbirth because your muscles, your pelvic floor muscles stretch, mm-hmm. think of like you know like a runner if they have a hamstring strain, there it's usually because the muscle gets like overstretched maybe mm-hmm. during a sprint or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with the pelvic floor when it gets really stretched like that it actually does weaken it mm-hmm. because you are stretching out the muscle fibers mm-hmm. and so you're decreasing the cross area of the muscle so it does get weaker. So Therefore, strengthening it postpartum is important, but Mm -hmm. things that you can do proactively during pregnancy to help kind of make labor and delivery go smoother and postpartum recovery is a just like finding your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. The amount of, you know, women and no, no one's fault, but we're just not taught this Mm -hmm. that don't know even where their pelvic floor is Mm -hmm. or like how to control, it, how to contract it, how Mm -hmm. to relax it. Mm That's the most important thing first is because you want to know how to engage it, but then also how to relax it. Because when you are delivering vaginally, you want to be able to actually relax your pelvic floor in order for the baby to come out because mm-hmm. if your pelvic floor is really tight. It's almost like baby's hitting a brick wall kind of. So yeah. you actually need to be able to relax your pelvic floor mm-hmm. to allow baby to go through. But you also want it to be strong enough during pregnancy mm-hmm. that you don't develop you know, significant pain because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're... Pressing down on a really weak muscle. Mm-hmm. So it's the same as any other muscle in your body. Like you want to have full range of motion of a muscle, but mm-hmm. you also don't want it to be so like stretched out that it becomes weak. So you mm-hmm. want to have a good balance of strengthening and relaxing it. So mm-hmm. first find your pelvic floor, mm-hmm. <laughs> then so you know how to contract and relax it, and then work on connecting with it while you breathe because then we can talk a little bit more about this, but mm-hmm. breath work is the really foundational aspect of pelvic floor work, because that's really when you're engaging it the most or relaxing it. So once you've found it, then incorporate it into just like your regular activities, like your regular strength training, your regular act- form of activity that you like to do mm-hmm. during pregnancy, because just the more that you're aware of it, the more that you'll see, oh, I'm accidentally like clenching my butt all day. Like mm-hmm. I'm squeezing my pelvic floor all day. Let mm-hmm. me relax it or mm-hmm. vice versa. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, really just trying to find it first.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's so important. I, th- I think it's a really good first step because it's true. Like some people don't even know where that is. And they start thinking about it, like, what do I do? You know? And then the next thing I want to ask about, which is kind of in tandem to this question, but I feel like the only thing, like if you Google anything about public floor or, you know, listen to maybe your mom or your grandma or something, you hear a lot about kegels. Uh-huh. Like that's the thing we get mm-hmm. told. And so, especially when it comes to public floor health. So I'd love if you can kind of explain what are these and when or when not should we, you know, when should we be implementing or when should we not be, implementing that because i think what you just shared about like breath and being more aware of where it's at and certain things like that you know that can also be helpful so i just want to know like let's explain what kegels are first and when to implement them when not to and maybe what other strategies could be even more helpful
1: yeah so the kegel or kegel i never know how to Yeah i don't it. even some people say kegel some say kegel i think it depends on like what part of the country you are yeah. so i will say kegel but okay. it doesn't matter it is a pelvic floor contraction it's only named after it's named after um a physician who decided that he was going to study the pelvic floor mm-hmm. and how it contract and relax. So that's mm-hmm. the only reason why it's called Kegels because named after him, mm-hmm. but it's really just a pelvic floor contraction. Mm-hmm. And then also like the relaxation part of it. So sometimes people get so focused on like contracting, 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 mm-hmm. but you also, you know, when you're done contracting, you have to be able to relax it. Same thing with like a bicep curl. You don't just curl halfway up and down Mm -hmm. you fully straighten out your arm and then you fully bend it Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing with pelvic floor contraction so really like kegel pelvic floor contraction are kind of synonymous they're the same Mm -hmm. thing okay um the reason why kegels have become so well known or just everyone has basically heard of them at some point is because with the medical world it is really hard to do controlled studies, especially when it comes to like muscle and physical therapy, because mm-hmm. no muscle really like works in isolation. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why kegels are so strongly purported is because it was a really easy way to be like, okay, we're going to put like this electrode, which measures muscle activity on the pelvic floor muscles. And we're going to ask you to do a kegel and we're going to see like, oh, does that, you know, help to, mm-hmm. you know, strengthen the pelvic floor and mm-hmm. can that help with incontinence or something like that. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, because you're using the muscle and so you're getting it Mm -hmm. stronger. But more and more what they're realizing is that Kegels, no muscle works in isolation. So Kegels won't necessarily fix everything because Mm -hmm. pelvic floor issues can arise from not just maybe weakness in the pelvic floor, but poor core management or Mm -hmm. intra-abdominal pressure management. So the way that you breathe, like if you're accidentally holding your breath Mm -hmm. while you are doing a really heavy lift that can actually impact your pelvic floor and maybe cause incontinence. So it wasn't necessarily your pelvic floor's fault. It was Mm -hmm. the fact that you were holding your breath. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the pelvic floor world is moving on to now is that, okay, like kegels aren't, you know, it's good to know how to contract a muscle, right? Like Mm -hmm. we we should all learn how to be able to contract it, how to do a kegel Mm -hmm. and both parts, the contraction relaxation, but Mm -hmm. that's not the be all end all like, when you go to pelvic floor therapy, that shouldn't be all you do. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. here's some Kegels and see you next Mm -hmm. time. It's really about how does the pelvic floor work with the rest of the body? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that makes so much sense. I think think that's important to understand. I feel like when I learned that it's not just like do some Kegels and you'll be good, or Kegels, or however you pronounce it. It was like, yeah. oh, that is so eye-opening. Like, there's so much more to this, and while it can be a helpful thing to implement, you know, in certain situations, just like defaulting to that and not really knowing what you're doing really isn't probably the most effective thing to do. So, I'm thankful the way you explained right. that. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: and like some people, oh, oh, go ahead, you're good. Keep going, you're good. <laughs> yeah, some people actually. We'll start doing Kegels, and if you already have like a really tight mm-hmm. pelvic floor or like overly active pelvic floor, and you do mm-hmm. like heavy contractions on top of that, it can actually make it worse. So yeah. I get a lot of that too from patients. Or yes. like, I was doing my Kegels and I actually made things worse. Yeah. So, yeah well, no, that's literally like so <laughs>
2: true. Because I remember when I started seeing my pelvic floor therapist, she was like, "You have so much restriction, and your pelvic floor is so tight." That like we need to like release some of that restriction first, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, if I would have started doing these, it probably would have just made it worse. So it's really fascinating. (laughs) It's almost like you need to kind of understand the state of your pelvic floor. Which would you say like the best way to do that is to see someone who can evaluate it, or what would you say if someone's like, I don't know if my pelvic floor is tight. I don't. I have no idea.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. Gold standard is to just go ahead and see a pelvic floor therapist. But obviously, not everyone has access to that. Pelvic floor therapists are usually in such high demand because. There's not many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes wait lists can be really long. So what I'll try and tell people is, A, like, take note of, like, your symptoms. See if, like, you have any symptoms. Like, write them all down. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just, like, sit somewhere where there's not a lot of distractions. And try to, like, when you inhale, try and relax your pelvic floor. Think of, like, visualize a trampoline lowering. And then you exhale, try and lift up and in. And depending on... Which of those movements feels easier? Like you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I can feel it relax, mm-hmm. but like I cannot feel it contract. Mm-hmm. That gives you a good indication of like the status of your pelvic floor, or vice versa. So mm-hmm. sometimes you can kind of troubleshoot it without seeing someone. But yeah, Gold Standard is definitely just try and see someone. Yeah, that's great.
2: Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about pregnancy and movement briefly, just as we're talking about even some of the like maybe proactive things we can do or whatnot for our pelvic floor. But I think a lot of women wonder if weightlifting and cardio are safe in pregnancy, or if you can still work out your core, can you share a little bit about what research says on this? And if there's any modifications that really need to be followed to best support, you know, your muscles and pelvic floor and things like that in the process, like as you're working out and trying to be active in pregnancy?
1: Yeah, a lot of the old recommendations. So you'll hear me refer to ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And they kind of just summarize all of the good literature and put out these statements every couple of years of like, here are the updates, things that mm-hmm. you should do, shouldn't do. And over the years, they have pretty much said, yeah, any like restriction that we that we said in the past of weightlifting, mm-hmm. you can't do more than 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. We're like retracting all that. <laughs> There's not really a limit that is shown in the research mm-hmm. that is negative on the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, if you've never lifted a weight in your life mm-hmm. and then you get pregnant right. do i recommend doing you know a back squat with a barbell probably not mm-hmm. that's probably not where you should start mm-hmm. but there's not like a be all end all weight that is going to negatively impact pelvic floor it's more individualized mm-hmm. that being said cardio is interesting because mm-hmm. for a long time they had said like moderate cardio is fine mm-hmm. moderate intensity so the way that you would normally figure out what well, what is moderate intensity is mm-hmm. via the talk test, which is kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, can I carry on a conversation while I'm doing cardio, maybe pausing briefly once or twice to catch my breath, mm-hmm. but I'm not, you know, huffing and puffing. Mm-hmm. But the Australian guidelines with their OBGYNs, mm-hmm. recently changed their guidelines as of, I want to say last year, mm-hmm. that high intensity cardio actually can be beneficial as well. And there aren't any negative side effects, if this is something you are used to doing. So high intensity cardio being like sprinting, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting into that seven out of 10 difficulty level with cardio. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting, because Mm -hmm. the like newer research is actually showing that, hey, we we, we didn't say that you couldn't do high intensity Mm -hmm. cardio, we just didn't know enough. Mm -hmm. And now there enough studies are coming out, they're like, Oh, actually, if you've been doing it, You can kind of keep doing it so long as, you know, right. As long as you don't have any, you know, dizziness, nausea, incontinence, anything Mm -hmm. at any point in pregnancy that you should stop activity and work Mm -hmm. with someone. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that's exciting that they've kind of recently updated those guidelines for high intensity cardio. Yeah,
2: that's kind of wild because like I feel like it almost you naturally assume like you don't want to be doing that, you know, and it's probably based off of those guidelines being in that place for so long, you know, but it is kind of interesting to think about. I mean, I'm sure it kind of also depends on like if you are a high risk pregnancy and other factors, but like for those who right. aren't like
1: that makes sense. Yeah, the Australian guidelines have it one to two times a week of like participating in high intensity cardio meaning you're above that talk test yeah. and wow. that's what they're they're fine with, with they're in their guidelines american um college of obstetrics and gynecologists have not updated their guidelines yet mm-hmm. so you know it's it's you know yeah up in the air always yeah. recommend though talking with your provider because if you, yeah if you do have you know a higher risk or something right. like that you might want to err on the side of being cautious but also right. i mean i don't know about you and I did not feel up for high intensity no, cardio at totally. Any point in My totally. I'm, I'm like, I don't
2: understand how people sprint during pregnancy. But hey, if you can do it, go for I'm, it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like me and a power walk are like where we're at at this point. <laughs> hey, yep, but, I feel you on that. Well, and I also think I think there's something to be said about that to, though too, because while something might be okay or allowed or in a guideline, like you also, I think the most important thing is like listen to your body. You know, like I think that's ultimately yeah. what what it comes down to. Like if your body's saying absolutely not. You don't want to overpush yourself. Your body's trying to grow a human. So it's like, do what you can. Right. Just because you're allowed doesn't mean you have to, you know? So, um, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's good. Okay, so speaking of movement, though, I think this is – I want to shift gears a little bit, but still relevant. I want to talk about what daily movements you would recommend to help women, you know, prepare for labor and birth. Is there anything that you would say, like, these are some habits or some things to implement to help prepare your body for labor?
1: I would say some of the best – movements are your classic, like weightlifting movements. And that doesn't mean you have to be like in a squat rack with mm-hmm. barbell. It means to mm-hmm. be at home with weight or even not weight, but mm-hmm. squats are actually really good because at the bottom of a squat, actually you lengthen your pelvic floor mm-hmm. and you open up what's called the pelvic inlet, which is kind of the top part of your pelvis where the baby needs to mm-hmm. engage first, like that lightening, what people will say, you know, around like mm-hmm. 37, 38 weeks. They're like, Oh, like, I feel like my baby dropped. Mm-hmm. So that's where the baby enters the pelvis. Mm -hmm. Um, Deadlifts or like any sort of hinge movement, so like a hip thrust or a glute bridge, Mm -hmm. that helps to open up the bottom part of the pelvis to the pelvic outlet, which is where baby, you know, exits the Mm -hmm. vaginal canal Mm -hmm. um, if you're having a vaginal delivery. But even if you're not having a vaginal delivery, you like, you know, you're going to have a C-section. These movements still help to ensure that your pelvic floor has good length. And good strength hmm. because you still need that postpartum to mm-hmm. recover because, yeah, your pelvic floor is still affected throughout, you know, however long your pregnancy is. Right. 40 right. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so squats, deadlifts or hinge movements, so mm-hmm. like the glute bridges, hip thrust, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. um A lot of people kind of miss out on some of the small stability work. Mm-hmm. So working the inner thigh muscles are really important because your inner thigh muscles actually have um, attach at the same point on the pelvic structure, like the bony structure as the pelvic huh. floor. They kind okay. of share attachments. Interesting. And so, yeah, it is interesting. So the, if a lot of people might have weak inner thighs, it's usually affects the pelvic floor because mm-hmm. those muscles are so closely related that if, you know, if the inner thighs are just like shutting off, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't really shut off, but if they're just like not helping right. out as much as possible, right the next closest muscle might be your pelvic floor. So and all of a sudden there's like extra stress right. on the pelvic floor. Oh, and so, yeah, so it, they're just, they're neighbors. And yeah. so if you have a really, you know, really, really strong, good strength of the inner thighs, mm-hmm. then maybe your pelvic floor can kind of just relax and not feel like it needs to overwork. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's how I'm like, okay, I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> take notes. <Yeah. laughs> really just like, you know, body, Mm-hmm is most important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the lower body is obviously going to be impacting the pelvis the most, but just trying to be symmetrical in your mm-hmm. movement. So not trying to do too much of one thing, you know, everything in moderation. Yeah, <laughs> trying totally. to get all planes of motion of the lower body. Yeah. Is is really helpful to you all throughout pregnancy. Yeah.
2: That's good to know. Awesome. Okay. One other question I have that's kind of related to that is specifically about birth because I've started to learn a little bit yeah. about this. So I'd love if you could speak to it in terms of what would mm-hmm. you say are the bo- the best and the worst birthing positions specifically for the pelvic floor, not just like opinion of like what's the best and worst, but like what actually affects the pelvic floor positively or negatively during birth and what positions, you know, are best or worst?
1: Yeah, there is quite a bit of research on this and it all kind of varies, but everyone is in agreement. That the lithotomy position, you know, the traditional on your back, Mm -hmm. feet up in the stirrups, like Mm -hmm. you're flat on a hospital bed, Mm -hmm. is the worst for the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Um, It is,
0: you know, all (laughs) the research articles,
1: yeah, pretty much are all in agreement Mm -hmm. that this does not support the pelvic floor for a variety of reasons. Like, if you were to even just, like, you know, look, when you are Mm -hmm. lying down on your back, like, your vaginal opening is actually almost pointed up, Mm -hmm. like, towards Mm -hmm. the ceiling when your legs are bent like that. Yeah. Yeah. as well as having the, feet, the knees out really wide mm-hmm. actually closes the pelvic floor. And so all of the, you know, size are in agreement, lithotomy, try and avoid it if possible. There are still things that you can do um, in terms of like breath work or slow pushing mm-hmm. or perineal massage to kind mm-hmm. of help the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but try and avoid that one if possible. Mm-hmm. Other ones that are friendlier for the pelvic floor and will reduce rates of um, grade three or four tearing. So mm-hmm. tearing can be from grade one to four, four mm-hmm. being the worst, one mm-hmm. being the least significant. Mm-hmm. Um, Sideline. So lying on your side mm-hmm. with your leg up mm-hmm. actually is trying to be one of the best positions to reduce severe pelvic floor trauma.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and this can be because A, you're kind of like more in a relaxed position. Mm-hmm. B, you can, um, part of when your baby exits the vaginal canal is your tailbone or your, you know, sacrum as we call it needs to be able to move. And so when you are on your side, you know, your tailbone isn't pressed against the bed. It's Mm -hmm. free to move. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of just allows more space for the pelvic floor to open up and babies had to come out. So Mm sideline is one of the best positions, upright positions, such as like squatting or standing Mm -hmm. do reduce the rate of like grade three and four, but can increase this is getting to nitty gritty. Yeah, no, we want Tell us the nitty gritty. So don't mind me. <laughs> yeah. No, tell us everything. <laughs> so more like upright positions, like squatting, standing can increase the rate of a grade two, which mm-hmm. isn't super severe. Mm-hmm. And that can be because when you're upright, gravity is really helping mm-hmm. your baby come out. Mm-hmm. So sometimes your baby can come out really fast, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. not allowing the pelvic floor enough time to stretch. Mm-hmm. Granted, I would still rather have a grade two tear than a three or four. So I don't want to deter anyone from squatting or anything. Right.
2: Have you been wanting to make the switch to cleaner living and clean beauty, but feeling really overwhelmed on where to start and how to sift through all the different options out there? Friend, I get it. I have been there. When I first started my clean living journey, I was so overwhelmed. And I was having such a hard time in one area in particular. I was having a really hard time finding beauty products that were clean, safe, toxin-free, but also really worked because the tricky part was I wanted to use clean products, but every time I would try clean makeup or clean shampoo or clean skincare, it just seemed like they didn't work as well as my old toxic favorites. And I found myself always wanting to go back to the more conventional stuff because it actually worked. My makeup stayed all day. My skincare was working well. So I was having a really hard time in this area until I discovered Crunchy. Crunchy is a high-performing, clean beauty brand that honestly performs just as well, if not better, than my old toxic favorites. Not only that, but they are eco-friendly, they're plastic positive, which means they take more plastic out of the environment than they put in, and they're also Leaping Bunny certified and cruelty-free as well as vegan. So if you've been looking for a clean option for makeup and skincare, for clean beauty, but you just need something that works well and that doesn't harm the environment and that doesn't harm animals crunchy is the place to be i highly recommend starting with the primer and foundation when it comes to makeup or the cleansing bar and the clarolite when it comes to the skincare and if you use my link you can get ten dollars off your first order so just go to crunchy.com slash jordan dooley and the ten dollars off will apply on the last page of checkout to your first order or you can just tap the link in the show notes on this episode to shop with that link and get the ten dollars off applied to your first order join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. And as part of, this Uh, is something I heard similarly, and I'd be curious your thought on this. So when you are like on your back and your like legs are in stirrups and like pulled back really tight, that's really making your pelvic floor like really taut, kind of like you said, like it can that increases your risk of tearing. Would you say squatting is kind of similar because you're in a somewhat of a similar position, but the difference is you have gravity on your side and... Something like, I I feel like that was just explained to me similarly like the reason it can increase the risk of public floor or I'm sorry not public floor the the great two tearing is partly like you said because it comes out faster gravity etc but also because sometimes depending on your squat position it can also like make that public floor more taut or more like longer or whatever is that true accurate I'd be curious your thought on that
1: yeah so when your knees are really wide mm-hmm. which is a lot of time what people do when they're in a deep squat mm-hmm. is like knees are out really wide yeah that actually closes the pelvic floor right and you can kind of like visualize this in a mirror like if you were to see a ballerina point their toes like all the way out Mm -hmm. like um pigeon toed you can kind of see like your butt cheeks get a little clenched Mm -hmm. like things look smaller there but then when you point your toes in towards one another it actually is nice and wide Mm -hmm. back there in your pelvic floor so yeah, if you're squatting with your knees really wide, then yes, once again, that can mm-hmm. decrease the space in the pelvic floor, which can potentially increase the rate of great two tears. Mm-hmm. If you squat with your knees a little closer together, that could be more beneficial. It's so um, wild because it
2: seems so opposite. You would think like open your legs as far as possible and like stretch everything, yes. but it's like that can actually restrict, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, if you Google um, like uh, knees together pelvic floor, there's a really good bony like model like video where you can see what the pelvis is doing mm. when the knees are together and knees wide. And that like usually is a light bulb moment for so many people. Oh, They're I like, Oh, that, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Huh.
2: That's, I mean, this is really good to know because I think we, I feel like the the assumptions are either you're going to lay on your back and your legs are going to be hiked up or you're going to squat. Those are your options. And I think hearing about like sideline yeah. and other options It's important. I I mean, like, as for me, like preparing for a birth, and I think so many people, I think it's so important to be aware of that. So and even just like how each position can affect your likelihood of tearing, you know, more severely or less severely, et cetera. So yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Um, Okay, briefly, I'm kind of moving in like the order of like, first, let's talk about pregnancy. Let's talk about birth. But I also want to talk a little bit about postpartum in the pelvic floor. What guidelines Mm -hmm. do you have for movement that you recommend following birth, like after you come home with the baby?
1: Yes, this can be where I get a little, uh, <laughs> maybe a little frustrated with the current guidelines because there really aren't. It's like six weeks, do nothing. After mm-hmm. six weeks, do everything, mm-hmm. figure it out. Um, so I personally will have my patients start with basic movement, like day one postpartum. Mm-hmm. And this always might freak people out, but that's why I call it movement. It's not like workouts. Yeah. You're working on breathing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are stretching your upper back because you if you're trying to breastfeed or bottle feed or whatever mm-hmm. you're all crunched forward right mm-hmm. and so your upper back's starting to hurt so I have people start doing movement in the bed week one postpartum mm-hmm. um but this is just you know more of like gentle stretching and just like relearning okay how do I breathe like how do I find my core again because you'll notice like it feels so weird it's yeah, like I'm jello sure. in there like yeah. your organs don't feel supported right um it's so usually doing that for the first two weeks. And then from weeks two to six, your body, I mean, there's a reason why they say six weeks and that's because mm-hmm. your uterus is shrinking back down. So usually by about six weeks, your uterus is at a pretty close level to pre-pregnancy mm-hmm. size or for, if you had a C-section, you should take six, eight weeks for your incision to heal. So like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the reasoning behind that six ish week mark. Mm-hmm. However, movement, Mm -hmm. like contracting your muscles actually helps to accelerate your healing Mm -hmm. because you're getting blood flow to the area and Mm -hmm. blood flow helps to heal muscle. Mm -hmm. So from weeks two to six slash eight, Mm -hmm. that is when I have people start to integrate a little bit more movement. So maybe now we're doing some body weight, hip strengthening, like Mm -hmm. a leg lift or like a what's called, you know, like a bird dog, or mm-hmm. if you've heard of some of those movements before, you can do mm-hmm. some of those like body weight movements from weeks four or from weeks two to six, eight ish. Mm-hmm. And then usually once, you know, your incision, if you've had a cesarean delivery mm-hmm. or if you had any sort of stitches after perineal tearing, after those have all healed, mm-hmm. um, and your bleeding has stopped, mm-hmm. that is when I like to implement resistance via either bands or dumbbells. And so this can be, Right at six weeks for some people, maybe it's a little, maybe it's five weeks, maybe it's eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, I want the bleeding to have stopped or at least super duper minimal. And you're obviously, you, you don't want to have any open wounds right. when you're starting to increase your activity. Right. So then from that point on, let's just say six weeks, you are doing resistance training. Mm-hmm. And this should be like slow, gradual progressive resistance training and should be low impact. So mm-hmm. not getting back into you know burpees mm-hmm. or squat jumps or anything high impact, mm-hmm. because you're pretty much having to retrain your body of how to move without having a baby in you. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you're like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, my posture, like I got to, mm-hmm. you know, get back to my <laughs> pre-pregnancy posture and all of that. Mm-hmm. So at least for, you know, four to eight weeks of general full body strength training mm-hmm. um, with, you know, an increased focus on, core rehab not meaning like crunches or sit-ups It's mm-hmm. usually later on it's more advanced but back to those like bird dog movements mm-hmm. or leg lifts um some of the things that you might traditionally see if you're just scrolling instagram yeah and then after you do you know four to eight weeks of low impact strength training then you might be able to start implementing you know relearning how to jump mm-hmm. um relearning how to like absorb force mm-hmm. With not just your pelvic floor, but your full body mm-hmm. before you would go into higher intensity activity or running. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. want to start running right away because a, sometimes is a really good stress reliever mm-hmm. for people. And I mm-hmm. totally get that, but your your pelvic floor and core is just not ready at six weeks mm-hmm. for any of that. So mm-hmm. I usually recommend waiting at least three months, some people three to six months. Mm-hmm. It totally can vary, mm-hmm. but I would say bare minimum three months, unless of course, there's always exceptions. You know, mm-hmm. I've worked with some professional athletes who've gotten back before three months, but like mm-hmm. they were working with pelvic floor therapists, you know, yeah, we were doing appointments every single week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, always exceptions, but that's a basic guideline. Yeah,
2: that's good. And I appreciate the way you kind of broke that down too, like from day one to several weeks later, months later, because it yeah. kind of gives like a visual of like, here's the runway, you know, like, versus, okay, I got to yeah. get back at it the second I turn six weeks, and I'm cleared. It's like, well, like what does that even mean clear? You know, I think the yeah. way you broke it down <laughs> helps a lot, because it kind of gives like almost like phases for people to think about this through. So yeah, that's yeah. so good.
1: A lot of times I'll also tell people, expect, like, if you were pregnant, you know, for 10 months, expect it on the back end for Mm -hmm. recovery. You know, it it takes just as long to recover from a baby while you're, like, actively working to build up your strength. Mm -hmm. So don't feel bad if, you know, you're still at, like, six, seven months postpartum and you're, like, things still don't feel the same. I still Mm -hmm. don't feel back to my, you know, pre-pregnancy strength. It's not just physically, like, your body, but, like, hormonally, too. Mm Your hormones are, really impact your ability to build muscle. So yeah.
0: don't,
1: don't get down on yourself if you're still not feeling. Yeah. Like yourself, seven, eight months postpartum. Yeah, that's good. I think we all need to
2: hear that. I know I'm going to need to hear that. So thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So one other thing I want to specifically ask about, we've talked a lot about pelvic floor, but I also want to talk briefly about core because you touched on pelvic floor and core. So I want to have a couple seconds, minutes to talk about that. And then we'll kind of wrap up from there. Uh, But one thing I want to ask about is, and I might pronounce this wrong because I'm not a professional, but diastasis, is that how you say it is? Diastasis recti? Is that how it's pronounced? diastasis once again
0: everyone
1: says it's so different it can be diastasis it can be diastasis I diastasis. Usually
2: say okay okay I like. so diastasis diastasis <laughs> recti is a yeah. term that means something so I'd love if you can explain what that is how common it is and what can mm-hmm. be done to support it
1: yes love this topic so um diastasis recti in its literal term means like split abdominals mm-hmm. if you're looking at like the medical term for it. So if you were to go in a textbook and look up the definition, it'll say greater, it'll say an abdominal separation of your big six pack muscle. So mm-hmm. that's called your rectus abdominis. So mm-hmm. a separation of greater than two centimeters, which is usually about like two fingers if you were to poke your own belly. Mm-hmm. Now, the that's what the textbook says. However, this is it, tricky topic to discuss without making people fearful or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But most people are actually born with some sort of abdominal separation. Hmm. If you were to peel away your skin and all the fat and just get down in the muscle, the, your abdominal muscle, that six pack muscle there, it's not actually like one mm-hmm. muscle. It's split mm-hmm. with tissue down the middle. It's called the linea alba. And that's mm-hmm. like this stretchy connective tissue. And it has a purpose because Mm -hmm. your abdominals need to be able to expand Mm -hmm. for things like breathing. Mm -hmm. Like when you inhale, your belly needs to be able to expand. Mm -hmm. Um, When you eat, like when your stomach grows, like if you had a big meal, like your belly stretches out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then when you have a baby, like you need to be able to stretch out your abdominal muscles. So a lot of people... um, research has shown that a normal variation is anywhere from zero. So like some people maybe don't truly have a gap and that lineal alba is really, really small mm-hmm. all the way up to three centimeters. Mm-hmm. So some people are born with that natural abdominal separation and they maybe don't realize it. And then postpartum, obviously, you know, they've done all the research, all the Googling and they're like, Oh my gosh, I have a three finger abdominal separation. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. But they might've actually been born with that, beforehand Mm -hmm. so going back to like how common it is how prevalent just know Mm -hmm. that normal variation is from zero to three centimeters Mm -hmm. but during pregnancy most women by the third trimester have exceeded that two centimeter textbook definition of Mm -hmm. abdominal separation and Mm -hmm. that's that's like a physiological adaptation to allow Mm -hmm. your baby to grow otherwise your muscles would start like tearing Mm -hmm. because they couldn't stretch so most women have Greater than two centimeter finger or two centimeter abdominal separation by the third trimester, meaning they technically have diastasis. Okay. Now, what I like to refer to is like a um, like a pathological diastasis, meaning like it's a dysfunction. Like there, you have pain with it, or like true weakness. It's not just like your abdominals are separated because you were born Mm -hmm. like that. So most people have it by the third trimester. It doesn't mean like oh, let me just do all the core work or not modify Mm -hmm. anything because I already have it, whatever, Mm -hmm. because you don't want to make it worse, Mm -hmm. right? When you have tissue that is stretched out, Mm -hmm. it makes it weaker. So you don't want to be putting excessive pressure against the tissue that's already weakened because you can make it worse than it already is. Right. Right. If, now, when you look on the thing, um, postpartum side of things, most women like that tissue should go back to its normal state by about eight 10 weeks, It kind of varies a little bit, but it will typically go back mm-hmm. to its normal state. If it hasn't been maybe excessively stretched out during pregnancy, like if you were just completely ignoring all signs mm-hmm. of coning, which is a sign that you're stretching out too much. So can you see that during post-partum, pregnancy or do you only see oh, that
2: postpartum, the
1: coning? Oh no, you can see it a hundred percent during pregnancy. Um huh. Once again, not trying to send people down rabbit holes, but if you yeah. Google like coning during pregnancy you'll see it literally it truly looks like down the middle of your abdomen mm-hmm. there is this like little bulge of your huh. skin like your yeah. muscle mm-hmm. and that's because you are putting pressure against really thin tissue and it's uh-huh. stretching outwards huh yeah you can see that during pregnancy and then you'll see it postpartum as well so mm-hmm. Most people, it should resolve, you know, your tissue should start to go back to its normal state. Mm -hmm. However, if you have excessively stretched it during pregnancy, that's going to make it hard. Or if you try and jump back into things really fast, Mm -hmm. postpartum, Mm -hmm. without going through like a rehab progression, then you might make your diastasis worse. And then it becomes like a a true like pathological diastasis because you've exceeded the point in which it should have gone back. Mm -hmm. so now you're three four five months postpartum and you still have this like large abdominal separation because you didn't actively work to start kind of like build your core from the uh, foundation up
2: yeah okay
1: so I know it's kind of like a convoluted answer but it's helpful but I think so many people think like it's really easy if you were to just say oh you know I have greater than two centimeter gap Mm -hmm. I have diastasis Mm -hmm. but it's it's not just about how wide it is, but it's also about how deep it is. Like, mm. can you actually engage your muscle? There's a lot of things that go into it. So I don't want people to freak out if they put their fingers in between their abs mm-hmm. and they can fit, you know, two fingers because I can fit two fingers mm-hmm. and, and I don't have any dysfunction or issues. It's, it's just the way I think, made. Yeah. Good to know. Okay. That makes a yep. lot of sense because I think you're right. It
2: is something that like when you hear about it, you're like, oh my gosh, I think I have this. You know, it's like the context you provided is really important. So thank you for doing that. Okay. Yes. The last question I have is just like improving your core and your core strength after pregnancy because I know you say it's more important how you perform the exercise than the specific movement that you are doing. So can you dig into that a little bit more and share what some common mistakes or issues people have when it comes to, you know, performing core movements are?
1: Yeah. Yeah and this goes for during pregnancy and postpartum, just core movements in general. even if you've never been pregnant or postpartum, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people aren't necessarily doing a lot of core work correctly. So when I say how you do it, it's a matter of, are you engaging your deepest core muscle first? So you always want to work from the inside out. And mm-hmm. so the, you have multiple layers of abdominal muscles. I just think we only think about like six pack muscle or maybe uh-huh. some people are like obliques too. Mm-hmm. But at your deepest layer that helps to actually stabilize your spine and mm-hmm. works in conjunction with your pelvic floor, which is why core and pelvic floor go hand in hand is because they're so intimately connected. Mm-hmm. The, the deepest muscle, think of like a corset that wraps around your body. And mm-hmm. like, that's what the deepest transverse abdominus muscle does. And if you don't work to engage this muscle first before the other one, mm-hmm. then you are lacking that stability closest to mm-hmm. your spine. And so that's where you can see dysfunctions come up, whether it be like back pain or diastasis or even prolapse, mm-hmm. things like that, because mm-hmm. you're not stabilizing and managing your spine and your intra-abdominal pressure first mm-hmm. before you engage the other abdominal muscles. So the easiest way to do this is by first just working on breathing. So when you inhale, your rib cage should expand 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. And then when you exhale, you want to exhale through like pursed lips, almost as if you're blowing out a candle or a birthday mm-hmm. cake, something like that. And you want to think about lifting your pelvic floor up and in first, and then slowly working your way up as if like you're zippering up a jacket. So you mm-hmm. work from like the lowest part of your pelvis And then work all the way up to your ribs. Mm -hmm. And that's the order in which you should engage your muscles. And it's not like super intense. It's Mm -hmm. not like you are Mm -hmm. doing, you know, a max effort. It's ever so subtle. You start with a little contraction, engage all the way up. And it'll see if you look in the mirror, it'll be nice and flat. There's no like Mm -hmm. one part of your abdominal muscles that are like bulging out. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn how to engage your muscles that way from the bottom up, the deepest layer first, then Your the rest of your movements your squats your deadlifts your overhead presses whatever Mm -hmm. you know you're going to be doing them with a stabilized core because everything starts in your core the stable more stable your core is the easier it is to move your extremities so that's why i say it's more important how you engage rather than what the movement is because for some people postpartum if they have really really good core strength and like can engage their core really well from the inside out, mm-hmm. they might be able to do sit ups mm-hmm. sooner than mm-hmm. someone else who doesn't have that. Right. So that's why it's more about how you do it, because someone might be at sit ups eight, you know, weeks postpartum, not many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe I should say like three months postpartum, yeah. someone can do sit ups and, and someone else is waiting for like six months mm-hmm. because they are just working to better engage the deep core from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's still a certain progression in which you should perform your exercises, but the timeline is not always going to be the same for everyone. So it's more about how you do it, looking for that coning um, Mm -hmm. rather than, oh, I can do it because I'm X amount of weeks Mm -hmm. postpartum. Yeah,
2: that's good to know. I love that guideline. That's so much more, I feel like personalized than just I'm X amount of weeks. So I think that's so good. Okay. This has been so fascinating. I've personally been like nerding out over this subject over the last few months, just being in the season of life that I'm in. So it's been really fun to just get to ask you these questions and learn from you and share some of this information with those who may never have thought about it before or are trying to figure it out or learn where to start. So thank you for everything that you've shared. Can you just, to wrap up, can you just tell us where we can find you, where we can learn more and what resources you have available for those who want to go
1: deeper in this? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about the where you can find everything related to me and my work is just my website, drmyhughes.com. And I'm also on Instagram, drmyhughes. But, and I'm sure you, you'll link those. But mm-hmm. in terms of more resources, I have a bunch of free guides on my website for like postpartum recovery and perineal tearing, and then as well as some longer programs. I have, you know, I'm moving through pregnancies literally 37 weeks of workouts all throughout I filmed throughout my pregnancy going over all the topics we just covered as well as a postpartum recovery program as well because I know some people don't have access to public Mm for physical therapists Mm -hmm. so I have both of those programs out a couple more coming down the pipeline I'm excited about um but yeah drmaites.com is where you can just find all things related
2: to public floor. (laughs) I have been like sitting here, as you said that, just like looking through your website and I'm like, there's a lot of good stuff here. So definitely you guys, as you're listening, go check it out. So many even helpful, like blog posts. Like I think I'm just going to print your hospital bag one. I just pulled that blog post up. So lots of good stuff for (laughs) women who are, you know, close to giving birth or want to be a mom one day or anything in between, or just want to strengthen your core and your public floor. There's so much good stuff. So definitely check out her stuff, her work, her courses, all the things. Dr. May, thank you for taking the time. It's been so fun to learn from you and so great to chat with you.
1: Yeah, Thank you so much
2: for having me. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content, and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast, or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too
0: important to settle for anything less. Chapter 1 Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood.